Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Live from the Stamp Show Here Today infotainment complex, this is the award-winning Stamp Show Here Today. If you can dream it, we can collect it. Brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center, a nonprofit 501c3 corporation for the advancement of philately. You can support this witless Tosh by joining the Stamp Show Here Today community. The cost is only $10 for a lifetime membership. We are an APS-affiliated club. Listen to the end credits for information on joining. This is Cash. This is the former El Jefe of Sonora, Mark. This is Plain Albert. (laughs) (laughs) So we got uh, a letter, and, you know, we have plenty of people who joined the podcast. A shout-out to Jim F. in Lakewood Ranch, Florida. He wrote, uh, Stamp Show Here Today Club. Please sign me up for maximum privileges. I collect U.S. plate blocks. Uh, Jim F., age 81 and proud of it. So uh, we are going to reinstate the title for just today. So uh, what, what title can Jim have here? I think we should dub him the Bosnian Grand Duke. So I don't know how much more of a maximum privilege you can have than that. Just don't get yourself shot in Sarajevo. Right. Stan, Florida. Bosnian Grand Duke of Florida. (laughs) What other uh, maximum privileges do we have here? Uh, Do we have any more of the magic screens? Yeah, I can send him a wonder screen. I still have some of those left. Yeah, we, uh, gosh, we got... 40 feet of it, and I bet you we get, have given out about 35 of them. So <laughs> we have about feet. five left. So, Jim, if you're listening, uh, Wonder Screen is on its way to you. So what crossed your desk today, Mark? Well, I've got a, a really interesting uh, item. It's a, uh, a strip of three submitted as Scott number 389, the famous Orange Bird Coil. Ooh. And these are uh, unused. Oh. A strip of three, which would be very, very rare. Um, the problem with this particular stamp is that it can be easily faked by uh, trimming off the top or trimming off a, a uh, the sheet stamp, uh, Scott number uh, 376. Uh, and I suspect that's what happened here because um, there, the, the orange brick coil is an extremely rare stamp as it is and unused. It's like... Yikes, this is really rare. Mark, why do they call it an Orangeburg coil? Uh, because it was used only in Orangeburg, New York. Well, I think it was Bell Laboratories. Bell Lands. Be- oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, and so I, I think most of the um, examples are used on cover, and, they, uh, and almost all of these examples bear one of two particular uh, wavy line cancels. So um, you can actually match up um, these, uh, you know, the, the, the particular stamp to a wavy, you know, particular wavy line cancel used. And that's, a, that's one of the confirming features when you get one to expertize. That's used. Right. And then in the expert's book, they actually have um, examples that are life-size um, in, in Schmidt's expert book. And, um, and so you can match up the stamp right there on the, on the page. And and see if it you know if you if you get, if you've got a match of the wavy line cancel. And the reason why it is so rare 
is Corbex Bell was mailing out little tins. I'm going to say it's about the size of two dimes next to each other, about that size. And they would throw it inside of an oversized envelope. The envelopes were large and sort of squarish. And so they found out that, you know, it cost three cents. Prior to this, they were sending them via parcel post with a four cent stamp on it. And it was going parcel post. They found out they can send them for three cents. So they wanted a coil so that they can apply them real quick. Um, the post office said, well, we don't have any coil three cent stamps. Oh, hold on. We'll make some for you. So that's why they were called Orangeburg coils is they came out of Orangeburg literally for use for just one company mailing little metal pill holders inside of slightly oversized envelopes. And, uh, Hey, Scott. Hey, hey. Hey, you can, uh, today we are suspending because we are giving a fellow maximum benefits. So if you want to have a title today, you can have a title. Gift giver. <laughs> okay, gift giver. Um, anything to add on Orangeburg coils? Because uh, we've gotten quite a few of them here at PSE. Well, uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do uh, enjoy, I do not own an Orangeburg coil myself. Uh, I do have Corbex Bell covers. I have pill holders. I have what was inside of the envelope that they were using the three cent stamp on. But I do not have an actual Orangeburg coil myself. Do you have one in your reference? No, I don't. And I don't either. It's like, uh, I think it's a single stamp used. I think it's $10,000 calorie value. It's a little more than that. Yeah. I, uh, I, Lewis Kaufman, who, for, uh, is he still with the Philatelic Foundation? No, Lewis retired a few years ago. He had a Orangeburg collection, and it was amazing. It had two cent and three cent not Orangeburg coils on cover, and he must have had, I'm going to say, 75 covers. All with the Orangeburg, with the Corbex Bell return address. It was fantastic. Uh, I don't think, it, I mean, I'm sure he probably has an Orangeburg coil, but inside of this group he didn't. But it was incredibly interesting. There was a collector in Colorado Springs named Phil Boyle, who was one of, he founded one of the uh, early pacemaker pacemaker companies. And he was, he was, Basically, buying all the all the Orangeburg coils for about 25 years, I acted as his West Coast agent. The only reason I'm going to talk about him now is that he's been dead for a number of years. But uh, I would go up to his. I would go up to his. He lived in Colorado Springs. He's from Texas originally, but uh, he he was living in Colorado Springs, and uh, so I would. So one of the things that he had me look at was the the strip of five that he eventually bought from Jack Molesworth. And I thought it was probably real, and it's since been broken up. But uh, It was mint? It was mint. Whoa. Yeah. As well as, uh, and then the other, the other famous uh, coil pair that I found was the one that, that my customer in Long Beach, Joe Lesson, accidentally donated to, to Boys Town. And then they, they discovered it, and I saw it. And then when I, uh, a couple of weeks later, when I was looking at his collection, going through it, 
He said, oh, I have one of those, because I mentioned that somebody had donated one, and it turned out what he had in its place was a 394 pair. No. Nope. So he made a $10,000 donation to Boys Town and got a stamp back, and uh, I got a $1,000 thank you check. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. remember reading about that story. Yep, so do I. I didn't know any of the names, but... Yeah. Uh, I do remember reading about the story when it happened. Well, since a lot of these people are no longer here, I can talk about it. But we never talked about it at the time because no, we didn't. Because because when the collector's alive, you don't want to you, you don't want to reveal who owns something. No. that's that's something that's really important. Yeah, nobody should. And I'm announcing it here. If you think that I collect U.S. number tens and elevens and exhibit them. Um, you are correct, but keep it a secret. Super secret. Yeah. So, Albert, since you're here uh, talking, uh, what crossed your desk lately? Well, uh, in the in the early 1960s, Robert A. Siegel Auction Galleries sold a sheet of Philippines 212. That's the 50 cent on watermark. The um, it's the uh, it's overprinted Philippines. It's uh, originally it's gotten without the overprint. It's got number 260. But in uh, the Scott catalog, it's got number 212. So somebody submitted a block from this sheet. The reason you can tell is, is that the gum is nearly entirely intact. And I once owned the top plate block of this sheet, which was really well-centered. Most of the rest of the stamps are basically fine. But what was interesting was uh, in this block of stamps, the upper right-hand stamp has uh, hollow spots in the vertical in the vertical. Uh, uh, bars of the first P and the uh, the uh, two bars of the H and the I, and they've been varieties of the, this particular overprint's been called counterfeit both in the, by in the PF reference and also in Herbert Block's reference, but here it is in a block of uh, in a block of four where the other three overprints are are genuine. I don't have an explanation for it, but I've known about this for about you know, 25 or 30 years. I took a picture of it. I'm going to uh, put this on Twitter. If you're, if you are not on Twitter, um, you know, check out Twitter. Ignore the crap and just uh, look for a stamp show here today. But it is interesting because the overprint, and again, this is the 50 cent Jefferson orange uh, bureau bank note thing. Um, first bureau. First bureau. And uh, it looks kind of squishy. It looks kind of muddy. And generally speaking, that's what you would say, oh, uh, well, that's fake. That's, you know, it was applied with a rubber stamp versus uh, an electroplate or whatever. And it's interesting because this one here is on a block with three absolutely genuine stamps. We know where the block came from. And uh, you've got this one that's kind of muddy, and I'm going to uh, put this on so that everybody can look at it. There's, a, there's, I don't know how many positions since I haven't actually looked at a f full sheet. I only have the photo of the sheet, and you, and it's basically a photocopy from the 1960s. But I know that I handled the uh, lower left corner margin. It also had one stamp like that. And I sold that to Bill Schumann years ago. He was uh, he was a collector that that when he sold his when his uh, estate sold his collection, his estate was called the Whit Payne Collection back in 2010. Yeah, a very interesting item. Yeah, that's amazing because the stamp 
that that's the muddy one you're talking about. It really does look fake, but the stamp right below it, um, the overprint is really, really clean. You know, lines are clean, you know, where, where, where you would look at that and say, oh, yeah, that's absolutely real. So it's like, wow, that's there's a huge difference between the two overprints. And they're just like, you know, an inch away. You can you can find them. I found them on uh, on the ten cent uh, type one stamp, a used one, and a couple of uh, a couple of two centers. So I think it's the same overprint plate. It's just um, nobody really. Everybody thought it was fake because most of them have been found have been not connected with others, you know, not joined with other stamps. So yeah. But not only does the does the P and, and the next letter have dropouts, but the the letters on the end there there's fat areas. Uh, I it's, that's just so weird. So that's an interesting item. Yeah. Yeah. Go out and find all the uh, fake ones and uh, resubmit them with new information. Well, there was a Be interesting. There's a stamp that there's a stamp that's come. I've seen been offered maybe four times in the last 50 years or 40 years and it's the same issue and it's got an embossed um, embossed um, on the papers the, the word UNWAT and I think it's I think it's uh, an embossing for the word un unwatermarked like on the top of a, of a ream of paper but it's actually the, the uh, 50 cent stamp is on it's printed on that hmm. So, Scott, what crossed your desk? Well, I had an interesting plate block cross my desk. It was submitted as a Scott number 499 with perforations missing. And this is something that I've never seen before. One horizontal row in the plate block was missing, and one vertical row was missing. Now, this is a plate block of six, so the and it was a, a side margin, so there were there would have been two completely uh, visible vertical rows and two completely visible horizontal rows. Yet it had one horizontal row missing and one vertical row missing. I've never seen that before on, on uh, any of this issue. And, uh, and, I mean, we determined that the perforations were fake, so we called it an imperfect plate block. But... Um, yeah, somebody was trying to make something super weird and special. Yeah, if you're going to fake it, don't fake it so weird. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or maybe he was faking it and then his uh, reperforator broke. <laughs> Who knows? But the, the plate block that he was trying to make was not a very expensive plate block to begin with. So I don't really understand the motivation there. Yeah, maybe, plus maybe. that black had blind perfs on it, which you would not expect if somebody is, is faking perfs, that they'd make all clean perfs and then... Well, they weren't truly blind perfs. They right. were just kind of only partially punched holes. Right, but they were so different from the normal blind perf that you see that they just stuck out immediately. Well, yeah. Like I said, the, the characteristics of the holes were, were just not uh, what you would expect of a genuine perforation. Maybe this is an maybe this was submitted as part of an estate by an auction company, so they submit things sometimes to kill them just because it gets them it's, out of. It's possible. I've also known dealers that do that. 
they they're trying to buy a collection and they make a deal with a collector to here let me submit 20 items that of your choice and I'll pay for the certs and then we'll base our you know, my offer on how they come back if they all come back good that's a better offer if some of them come back good you get a mediocre offer and if they all come back bad then you, you get uh you, you they say thank you a very much, much have a much day. lower <laughs> offer right. so uh but uh you know I, i've known that dealers do that occasionally as well so they in there could be a myriad of reasons why it was submitted but um, if it was a collector just thinking he had something genuine that was not known before, that's 100 years old, that I don't... Uh, no, I think it was somebody who was playing with a reperforator and said, look what I can do. It could be. Well, let's see what crossed my desk. Um, let me think. I don't, I don't have an item. Nothing interesting crossed my desk. Uh, some fake uh, Kansas City's. Yeah, we discussed the Chicago perf already. For those who didn't figure it out, I got a Chicago perf and then I submitted it to PSE and it came back with a good cert, which I fully expected it. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, it came out of a Seagull sale and stuff like that, so I just wanted to stick a cert on it. Now I'm going to redo the page and uh, you'll be able to see it next time I uh, put up my exhibit, which will probably be Chicago, or Chicago, not Chicago. It'll probably be San Diego. I'm not going to go to Chicago PAX. You should. It's a good show. I know. I'm just out of money. <laughs> <laughs> I spent too much. You bought too many 10s and 11s. That I did. Three <laughs> three collections, uh, three and a half collections of U.S. number 10s and 11s. I got a lot of stuff. Well, on that note. Oh, by the way, I just noticed that Jim Frank does envelope. With two twenty nines and a six cents, so we underpaid the postal service by two cents. <laughs> that he did. That he did. Okay, Jim. And, you know, and additionally, they weren't canceled. You owe the post office two cents. Right. <laughs> I have. I have one more item that I that came across my desk, and that was a, a one cent Franklin, and it was submitted as a, a number five A, the type one B, with the the full design at the bottom and uh um when i first looked at it go i thought no this is just a type two scott number seven and i looked a little closer and there's that little secret dot that was added to plates 11 and 12 and i oh so now it's you know my choices are type one type two or type three a and uh it can't be a type 1B, and the perforations are trimmed off. Yep, that's that's so, a giveaway. So, uh, Why don't yeah. you talk about the dot real quick? Because I see a lot of number 24s, basically the, that era, you know, plates number uh, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, and people cut off the perforations and then make them a more valuable stamp. Why don't you discuss 11 and 12 real quick? Because those are the ones that would look like the more expensive ones. Well, I mean, uh, plate uh, type 1 also comes off of uh, plate 12, I think. And uh, Yeah, but it wouldn't be imperforated. Right. 
So you could trim the perforations off and have a type one stamp. We, we've had we've had we've had type ones from plate twelve get trimmed off and be submitted as narrow, small number fives. Yep. But uh, the um, the dot was added in the in the uh, in the ring around the vignette um, opposite Washington's uh, Franklin or Franklin's knot in his hair knot in the back. And it's it's directly across from that, and it's just a little dot in the in the frame of the vignette. But and it is really obvious if you know what to look for. Yeah, it's, it's really obvious, and uh, I mean, if it's there, it has to be from plate eleven or plate twelve, and uh, that that a lot of times bites the faker in the ass. Yeah, <laughs> pardon the expression. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, it. Uh, I mean, as as an expert, you have to. Use all the shortcuts you can get, and that's one of the shortcuts that, you know, can lead us, instead of sitting there trying to plate the stamp and figure out the type and all of that other stuff, which we would normally do for a 5A, you can just say, oh, well, no, it can't even be a 5A, so one and done. Yep. I do have a story today um, from Jerry today at lunch. Shout out to Jerry. Uh, He was talking about during the 1970s, uh, it probably was more like the 1980s, early 1980s, a dealer told him that a really good investment was two-cent reds. And two-cent reds were basically the two-cent commemorative issues that were issued uh, starting, what, 1927-ish? Somewhere around there. And they went up to the early 1930s. And so he met the dealer then like 20, 25 years later and said, hey, remember me? You go, no, I have no clue who you are. He goes, yeah, you told me to uh, invest in two cent reds. I just wanted to share that uh, you gave me terrible advice. (laughs) (laughs) Now, on the other side, though, I do think that if you bought two cent reds in 1981, and then sold them in 1985, it was a good investment. If you held them past 1985, then it was a poor investment because remember, investing is timing too. So, but the way he, uh, he, it was interesting because rarely do you get to go back to the person who gave advice and say, ah, you were wrong. So unfortunately, now this is all memorialized on this podcast. People can come back to me in 20 years and say, hey, I was listening to your podcast. Remember when you said this? And they go, no. And they go, well, it was stupid advice. <laughs> I have a bit of advice. Don't listen to cash <laughs> <laughs> on investing in stamps. So does that mean that I, if you pay $2,500 in 1975 for a nice never-hand set of Zeps that was well-centered, and then in 1980, you sold them to 12 for 12,500 because Alan Sean Feinstein was that was his advertised buy price. Yeah. Was that a good was, was that a good investment as opposed to today, where where you might get a little bit over that 2,500 dollars now if it was well centered and everything was certified. Well, hold well, on. that depends. Were you the investor or was he? Yeah, but hold on. So <laughs> the finest known Zep set sold for. I think it was thirteen thousand dollars. F- higher than thirteen? It was almost a hundred thousand. No, no, no. I'm talking about back in. Uh, oh, back in the day. Back in the day. Um, so, 
and you gave away the punchline there. If you had, and let's assume that the finest known set is not all grade 100s. This one was, but if it was all grade 98s, you made an incredibly great investment because today it would be worth somewhere in the fifty to sixty thousand dollar range. The problem is, is when you paid ten thousand dollars for a set that was just nice, seventy fives, eighties. Yeah, and today, yeah, you, know, you can buy the same set for uh, I don't know what's a Zep set selling for now about three thousand bucks. Yeah, never hinged. Yeah, yeah. Oh, if it's hinged. <laughs> it's, first of all, hinged zeps are kind of scarce. But, yeah, you, you know, you, you lost a bunch of money. Quality counts. So, you know, whoever bought that finest known set probably made out very well. People who, you know, didn't, didn't. Well, on that note, keep collecting. We need your help. Nothing on the Internet is free, including our phone and Internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. (laughs) Because you don't put that on the letter. Oh, well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this silkcom was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! (laughs) Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.